ahead, if you would, please open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we are going to be picking right back up where we left off last week. Now, I'm not sure why my I'm not zeroing in here. I'm not able to see for some reason, so I'm not sure. God has healed my eyes completely, and I don't need them, and now they're making a fog here. What's going on right now? But let my eyes get settled here so I can read. Well, we'll see. Uh, let's pray about that. Father, again, we thank you. Uh, first of all, Lord, clear my eyes up as we speak right now because I don't know why I'm not able to see, but uh, Lord, you're going to be my eyes and my voice, so uh, take over, Lord, and I pray, Holy Spirit, you will speak to the hearts of the people here as we read your word. <laughs> I hope to read your word and uh, here and, uh, and uh, expound upon uh, what you have for us. Again, we thank you and praise you for allowing us to be able to come and join us. Uh, if some here physically, but those, of course, uh, spiritually throughout the, throughout the world, Lord. And we pray again that you would just bless this time together as a church family in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. <clears throat> we have been uh, seen so far the, in chapter 1, the birth <clears throat> of the ideal Christian church. We saw that in chapter 1 as Paul described what an ideal Christian church should look like. In chapter 2 last week, we saw the growth of the church spiritually, not in numbers, but spiritually the people were growing as due to the fact that we saw that Paul outlined the fact is, is the church grows spiritually and, and it's a Christ-centered church, the church or Christian ministry will flourish. It will be very fruitful uh, as people grow spiritually. In chapter 3, we're going today to see the establishment of the church based on a Christian faith. Based on faith, and Paul is going to emphasize and is going to be quite concerned for the church in Thessalonica, for the Thessalonian believers, and what their status is in regards to how they're walking by faith. And is that if they're continuing to walk by faith as Paul had taught them, but now the question is, it's been a few months, he's now trying to figure out how are they doing in their walk with Christ. Thus they gave him in three weeks, he was only with them for a three week period of time and many people were being saved. And then the question is, if you don't see them, how are they doing? Are they still seeking after God? Are they looking? Are they God doing a work in transforming them by the reading of the Word of God? Are they in the Word of God? Are they in fellowship? Are they continuing to pray for the things that are going on? And he did not have a clue what was going on. And as we will see today, he sends off uh, a brother named Timothy to check out what's going on with the church there in Thessalonica. Now, if you remember, Paul's missionary journey started even before this, uh, this letter in Mesopotamia area, where he then went north to Macedonia, which is the mainland area of Greece today. And if you remember, as you continue in the scriptures, you'll know in, in, through Acts and as such, he then moved on into the city of Philippi. And if you remember, we talked about when he was in Philippi, he was beaten for teaching or preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And through that, that attacks and persecution, he was ultimately thrown into prison and beaten and in flogged right in the middle of the middle of a Roman prison. 
But then God miraculously freed him from that, and he moved on to, through the, the uh, Amphipolis, uh, Amphipolis to then uh, uh, Apollonia, which then led him to Thessalonica as he made his journey up around through that Greece area. Now, Paul stayed again there in Thessalonica for three weeks and he preached there. But then because of that persecution, because of the afflictions that were coming upon him and wanting to, again, uh, grab a hold of him, trying to probably bring him to beat him to death, but to throw him back into prison as minimum, he knew he had to flee. And he, then from Thessalonica, these missionaries, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, goes to Berea. And we see that, again, you can go back through the uh, book of Acts, Acts 17, verses 10 through 15. We see these three missionaries fleeing from Thessalonica to the Berea area. Now, Silas and Timothy stayed there while Paul went south through that region of Achaia, Achaia, which is down the peninsula of Greece of, of today, into the city of Athens. And here in Athens is where he's writing this letter back to the believers there in Thessalonica to find out how they're doing and encourage them by the writing of this letter. Now, as you know, his last couple of weeks, this is probably one of his very first letters, maybe second, but probably his first. And because of that, look how we've benefited as a church, that God preserved, the, gave, the Holy Spirit gave the words to Paul to write down in this letter, this epistle called 1 Thessalonians, that we have today to encourage us as a church, to transform us as a church. That's how God works is through the power of the reading and the studying and the applying of the word of God to our lives. There is no other way to have a transformed life. You can dance and sing all you want. It will not transform your life and your mind into doing it God's way versus man or the worldly way. So that's why we study the word of God so that we can then understand it and then make the decision, will we apply it to our lives? And when we do... The transformation takes place. And we actually have a life. We always thought we had a life. <laughs> until you become born again. Until you accept Jesus Christ in your heart as your Lord and Savior. And then all of a sudden your eyes are open. It's amazing grace when we once was blind but now can see. Once was lost but now have been found. I mean, we know the transformation of our old life and how dark that was, and now we see the things that God reveals to him and brings to light how to live a life that is good and is right and at peace and rest for our souls with the promise of eternal life. Why? Because our sins have been forgiven. We've been set free from the bondage of sin. How freeing of a life isn't that is, right? It's a beautiful. So we see here Paul sharing that message that you can be saved, you can be freed from the, the bondage of sin in your life and be forgiven and have eternal life. He shared this with these believers in Thessalonica. Then he's forced out of the area. He's not able to help them to mature and to grow and to teach them everything, this apostolic teachings that God has given him that he's not able to, to teach the people he loves. They were his children. It was like children to him. And he wanted them to mature, and he had no clue what was going on in their early journey in their life here and their walk with uh, Jesus Christ. 
But let, look, let's look at here chapter 3. It says, therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer to the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter and had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all your, our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and, and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. So that we may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So we see here in these very, just these short, these small few verses, 13 verses, there's quite a few things that we're going to address here because Paul writes to these Thessalonian church believers um, regards to establishing of the church and an encouraging of the people in that church to have a strong Christian faith, to keep their eyes on Jesus and understand that his, their faith that saves them is because of their relationship with Jesus Christ and him and him alone. Not with some church, not with some movement, not with some program, but it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that saves them. And it's that faith we will see here Paul outlining in these 13 verses nine key elements in establishing this Christian church or to encourage them in their faith we're going to see nine things that Paul is going to encourage you and I with the same scriptures the Holy Spirit is going to encourage us in those same nine elements so if you are pencil pencil pushers and note takers uh, here we go I will try to make sure you can write them down as we go I try so in verse 1, he says, therefore, when you no longer endure it, endure what? We could no longer endure not knowing how you were doing in your walk with Jesus Christ back in Thessalonica. Couldn't handle it. And we know why, because in verse 5, he says why. We don't know about what's going on in your faith, your Christian walk. 
Are you walking still? Are you keeping your eyes on Jesus? Are you, are you sharing the good news with other people that Jesus has saved you? Now you want to tell other people that, how they can be saved from their sin? See, he didn't know any of those things. And what we thought is, that was good to help solve this problem, it was best that Paul says, I better not go back to Thessalonica at this point. It would not go well. So they made a decision, if see in verse 2, we'll send Timothy. Timothy, good old Timothy, young Timothy, my protege, let's send him because he, they knew him as well because he was there ministering. And we see that he's a brother. He means he's a believer. They didn't send a non-believer to go to do the missionary work. They sent a, a brother, a believer in Jesus Christ to go do that work. And he's a minister of God, meaning he's not the fact that he was ordained or he is a pastor, that he was a servant of God. So it's one thing, you need to be saved before you go out, but you need to also not only be saved, but you need to be a servant of God before you go out. You don't go out there as a, as a, a believer to go out there to be served. He went out there to serve people. That's, what, that's the right heart to go out and do this work that God is to do. So he's, they're sending him off, and he's the third element. He was a fellow laborer. He wasn't going to go in there and have a title. Hey, I'm from Paul's church, you know, you know, look at me. They sent me to go do this work here. You know, I must be special or something. You know, I must have the anointing of God because I was sent or kind of things. No, he says, and I, he didn't go there to say, I'm just going to sit back and have you guys come to me. And, and, and you can dote on me and, and lift me up in my high chair because I was sent by Paul. And I've got the robes and everything else to prove it, right? No. He was a laborer. He went and did the hard work. He was willing to get muddy. He was willing to get persecuted and beat up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It wasn't for him to gain his notoriety or gain a name for himself and somehow become the top listed book selling kind of a guy. No, he was someone, he says, I'm going out to do the hard work and do what hard things people were not willing to do. For the sake of God. Because I want to be about my father's business. I want to be about my own business. Or be a, about someone else's business. I am serving my heavenly father. Because I'm a child of God. And I want to go and do what he's called me to do. That's Timothy. Timothy's name in the Greek is Timotheos. Which is a compound word. Timio meaning to honor, and Theos means God. So one who honors God. Timothy was one who honors God, and his life reflected his name as well. But they made a decision that Paul says, it's best for you just to go, Timothy, my trusted companion, my fellow worker, your right hand, my wingman, you were been by my side in every battle that we have seen already. And I know I can trust you to go do, to get a good report and find out what's going on. But not just go back and just scout it out. Don't, he's not just a scout going out and seeing what's going on. He was going to go and be a scout, but he was going to go do the work. He was going to go into battle. He was going to go there and encourage and establish. We see right there in the end of verse 2, he was sent to be a, to establish them, to strengthen them is another word in the Greek. Strengthen them, to help them be grounded in their faith. 
So if there's some missing gaps, you know, I know I need to follow Jesus, but I don't know how to pray, or I don't know how to, how do I read the, and understand the word of God? I mean, whatever it is, there's, there's sometimes there's some gaps when you first get saved, or you think you've been walking with Christ for many years, but really haven't. And you need to be reestablished and, and a good foundation of understanding of that relationship you have and who God is, the one who you worship. But not only to establish, but to encourage them to continue regardless of how they feel. Why? Because those people in that church were being persecuted. They were being afflicted. It wasn't saying, oh, you, you Bible thumpers from uh, yelling out the window. No, these people were being beaten. <laughs> they were taking, being taken to, to jail and other things that were happening in tribulation. Paul understood all of that, didn't they? It just came out of Philippi. He understood what it means to be beaten almost to death and thrown into jail for his faith. So as a pastor, he's sitting here going, I really want to know how these people are doing. My heart is for these people. Timothy, you got to go. Establish them. Help them get solid. Fill in some of the gaps in misunderstanding. Why? Because the false teachers were coming in and trying to sway them away from the simplicity of, the, of a relationship with Jesus Christ to be saved. Instead, they were coming in trying to add all these extra religious things on top. Yes, you need to know Jesus Christ, but you need to keep a diet certain dietary uh, regimen. Or you have to dress a certain way. Or you have to only do this and do that. And you can't do this. You can't work. All these religious, religiosity or legalistic kinds of things that hinders to live by the grace of God. And so he sends them off to help them and encourage them. The word encourage is paracolito. Uh, paracolio means to call to one side or called so Timothy was called by God through Paul to come alongside these believers in Thessalonica to strengthen their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what encouragement means. That's the parakaleo, to encourage someone to come alongside and also to come alongside Paul as well, which he has been doing on the missionary journey that he was with them on. Now, the second element of establishing of the church in Christian faith is through affliction. Look at verses, verse 3 and verse 4 here. And no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. So right there in the very beginning, it was important for them that Timothy gets there to establish, to strengthen uh, the, their Christian faith so that they could uh, understand that if they don't have a strong faith in who and what God is going to do through their life, when the afflictions and the tribulations could have come, it would shake their life. It would shake them. They become unstable emotionally and, and mentally. Why? Because these afflictions were pretty heavy. These tribulations that were coming against them was really heavy. And we find here they needed to be established in their faith, to deepen their faith. Because if we do not have a strong faith in Jesus Christ, believe that God has absolute control of our lives as a child of God, you will be shaken. 
If you don't believe that God is on the throne and sees all things and knows all things and he's all powerful, your life will be shaken when things happen against you. When we believe that all is filtered, all things are filtered through our loving hands of our heavenly Father before it is allowed to touch your life as a child of God, if you don't believe that, you're going to be, a, you're going to be shaken. You're going to be shaken in your life. Emotionally and, and mentally, you're going to get squirrely on me. Because you're, you're going to be filled with anxiety and fear and worry. And all of that is sin, as we know in the scripture. Worry is sin. Hello? So, so you and I, as Paul is saying, we've got to get to these people and make sure they're established because if when the affliction's coming on them, they're going to be shaken, and we don't want them to be shaken. And as the Thessalonians were established and encouraged, they would not be shaken of these afflictions. Timothy's ministry would help them endure this present hardship. So God uses affliction to deepen and strengthen and establishing of yours and my faith just like theirs. We think, oh no, why do we need affliction? I don't need any troubles. I like a nice, smooth, comfy little place. I don't want any problems. But you're, 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 you're limiting what God wants to do in and through your life through affliction. Without a good understanding of the truth concerning the place of suffering that God has for his people to strengthen them in their faith, then you're, you need to continue to read the word of God and keep showing up because you need to understand that there's a place of suffering in the life of a believer. We are at great danger of being shaken in our Christian faith if we're not trusting God through these afflictions and tribulations. Paul wanted these Thessalonians to know that their time of present suffering was in God's complete control. That these afflictions were what we see in verse, at the end of verse 3? These afflictions were appointed to you. Hello. <laughs> I know. It's bad enough having an affliction, but to know that they were appointed to you? That God says... I'm going to appoint this to you. Why? Because I need to strengthen you. I need to change you in this area of your life. And so many people, they'll just they'll kind of hear that and see that it is right there in the scriptures. Read it for yourself. That these afflictions are appointed to you. It's part of the normal life is in, in our Christian walk or Christian faith. As believers, these are appointments of afflictions that are allowed to come into our life. Now, there's some believe that Christians shouldn't ever suffer affliction. There's teachings out there that says you will never, if your faith is strong, you will never have face afflictions and, and tribulations and sufferings. That if you would just teach us only the word of God and follow the word of God, that you will never face a trial or tribulations. That is just not true. Now it's true that with a great deal of suffering that we deal with, <laughs> could be spared 
it could be greatly limited if you and I knew the word of God and were just obedient to the word of God, it would have kept us from doing the things that we did. That God would use the word of God to teach us not to do something that keeps us from doing it. Why? Because we can learn through the life of Paul. We can learn through the life of Timothy. We can learn from the, the, church, uh, the church body at this point in time. That's why we have the word of God. But nevertheless, let me give you some scriptures that I bet you you probably haven't read before or didn't put together. But suffering is exactly what God can use to help you deepen your faith or teach you the things that he needs to teach you. And how do we know? But our best example is Jesus Christ himself. God the Father taught Jesus through suffering Go back and read Hebrews 2.10 and Hebrews 5.8. Go back and ponder on there because if therefore it's good enough for to teach, use affliction to teach Jesus, then it's good enough to teach us. God does teach the believer for perseverance, obedience, how to then take in as he's brought you through suffering, how to use that to comfort others. Because you've gone through the same challenge that this person is going through. And it will deepen you and my fellowship with Jesus in trials. <laughs> you want to teach children, you want to find out the peak time, if you graft out the, the peak time of prayer for children is in school just before a test. You know, that will bring out incredible amount of prayer. I bet you we could monitor and measure that. That would be a spike every time. Why? Because of the trial and tribulation of having to take a test will bring you to prayer. God help me. It's probably the most simplest of prayers. Because we know how challenging it could be. Now, some believe that the only kind of affliction a Christian should experience is persecution. Well, if you're afflicted because it's, it's, you're being persecuted for your faith. Everything is because of your persecuted for your faith. And, and a certain percent, of course, is. Because you're out there sharing the gospel, you're going to be persecuted. Just because you're not partaking in the conversations or doing the things that your buddies on the job site's doing, you will face persecution. You didn't respond to the nasty, dirty joke that they were talking in the office. And you just sat there and just kept a face and then looked for an opportunity to escape and go do something different at work. And they'll be persecuting you. Why? Because you're a light. Darkness does not like light, the Bible says. People who choose and love darkness does not like light. And if you represent Christ, you're... He's beaming through your life. You're a beacon that many are not going to like. It's just the way it is. Now, some believers believe that affliction means God is angry at that believer. 
I think we've all probably been guilty of that at some point in our early walk. We see someone doing it. It's like, oh, he probably did something wrong. He probably deserved it. You know, you know how he is. And we know how he is. You know, as you gossip and sin, <laughs> you're looking and judging another brother because he's going through persecution. You have no idea what the details. But some believe because God is angry. The truth is, affliction means that God actually loves you. God loves us enough to give the best and, and transform you to be the best that he wants you to be versus someone who just wants to be a, a, um, a lazy couch potato, who wants the easy life. Just get through it. Remember, the symbol of Christianity is the cross, not the comfy couch. And we must understand that this affliction that God has allowed in your life is appointed to you, this affliction, to transform your life. Not because he's angry at you. Matter of fact, you are so greatly loved by God that while you were still sinners, while I was still a sinner, he went to the cross for you and gave his own life. That is love. So don't let the mind or anyone else convince you other than that you are loved. And he wants the best for you. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Yes, <clears throat> and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Someone, I don't know why all lots of churches jump right over those verses. But it's right there in the scripture. And notice the words there, and I just read, who desire to live godly. Who here wants to, to live godly, right? I really hope you, you do desire to live godly. And if you do, guess what? You will suffer persecution. It will happen. It's only a matter of time. But God's grace will bring you through it. Jesus said in John 16, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have what? Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He's in control. Jesus is a perfect example. We see that in 1 Peter 2, 21. For this to... For, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Meaning, we too are going to be persecuted as we follow him. We're going to be treated like him. Remember Paul in Miletus, as he called for the Ephesian elders to come and to, he wanted to speak to him. We see that in Acts chapter 20. And when you take a look at verses that 22 through 24, um, you will see that he's talking about that the, the, he's, he's going to Jerusalem. And uh, it doesn't matter what's going to happen to me in Jerusalem. I'm going to go there even though they were warning him, don't go, you're crazy, you're going to be persecuted. And all these things are going to happen. But he said the Holy Spirit is testifying that, yes, I'm going to have chains. Yes, there's going to be tribulation awaiting for me when I get there. But in verse 24, he makes a very bold statement. He says, but none of these 
things move me. I'm going to continue to do what God's called me to do. I'm not going to be moved away from what God has called me to do for him. Even if it means persecution, means going to jail. I'm going to continue to live for Christ. My Savior. And so what Paul's saying to them here in verse 4 that you should not be surprised, believers, there in the church. Don't let your faith be shaken because you already knew this. Even in the three weeks that I was with you, I taught you that there was suffering. Why? Because I told you about my testimony, how I was suffering for Christ ever since I've, at the, from the road of Damascus. I've shared it with you. I've showed you what the power of God can do in a person's life. And I encourage you to continue to do and keep moving forward. But don't be surprised because you know, as he says at the end of verse 4, you know these things already. I've told you. And how important it is as he taught him then and now a few months later as he's writing this letter to them and warning them that they would suffer tribulation because of their Christian faith uh, that they continue in. <clears throat> in Jesus' parables, parables of the, soul, uh, the soils in Matthew 13 verses 1 through 23, he describes the way that some will fall away due to tribulation and persecution that arises because of the word, uh, because of the word. That Jesus said when tribulation arises, <clears throat> and it's not when, <clears throat> it's when, not if, tribulation comes, tribulation will come. And that Christian faith will be tested. And Paul knew this as a good pastor. He was warning to these Thessalonian believers. And he prayed that they would stay strong in their Christian faith. Even through the affliction. Because God is using it to refine them. To establish them in their faith. The third element we see here in verse 5. The third element involves strengthening of our Christian faith. It involves the one you don't and you and I don't want anything to do with, and that is Satan. But God uses Satan to help us watch what happens. He says, for this reason, verse 5, when I could no longer endure it, no longer can handle not knowing, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter, another name for who? Satan had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. I was so concerned and so overwhelmed not knowing that if the Satan somehow got into your head that he would tempt you with sin and tempt you to walk away from God and go back to the old life. That really bothered him. And as a pastor, I assure you, it bothers us tremendously to watch someone come to Christ, start walking with Christ, and then chooses to listen to the tempter, the Satan, put in their heads that their old life was better than the new life ahead of them. And how does he do it? Exactly what Paul's writing here. 
they start get afflicting. Things don't go well as a Christian now. People don't like them. They're not inviting them to the parties. They're not, not they're being shunned at work. They're no longer, they're even their own families. Maybe their own spouse is now coming against them because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And the enemy uses that to cause a division, to cause separation, to cause enough pressure and affliction that they would be tempted to walk away from God and go back to the old life. Nothing new under the sun, my brothers and sisters. They were dealing with it then, they, we deal with it today. And so Paul is saying, I need to get to them and I need to do this because if they are tempted and they walk away from God, all that was started by God, all the labor might be in vain. It will not produce the fruit. It will not produce changed life. It will not change families. It won't change communities for God. And darkness will just sweep over the land and lives will be destroyed. Paul recognized the, that the tempter is always right there, always watching, always wanting to exploit the season of suffering that's happening in someone's life. It's just like Job. If you read the book of Job, you know Satan was right there trying to tempt uh, Job to, to just lash out at God. To walk away from God. But he didn't. Because he knew who God was. He knew that his life was devoted to God. And the Satan is doing the same tricks with the people here in Thessalonica trying to convince them to give up God and go back and live their lives however they want to live, you know, according to the world. And if the Thessalonians fell to the temptations and walked away from their faith in Jesus, all of that hard work, like a farmer that's plowed and planted the seeds and water was coming, but then the harvest was starting to be produced, but then they walked away from it and didn't take care of it. And no fruit, no produce was come from it because they just walked away from all that work they did. It'd, be, it'd, be, it'd just be vain. It'd be empty. But strength can come in a Christian's faith, can, in Christian's walk, through what Satan, the tempter, tries to do. Because Satan is real. Don't, don't, don't. Act like it, he's not real because he is real. Ephesians 6.16 talks about the fact that he loves to take the, uh, these fiery little darts, darts being plural, and throw those fiery little darts right at you constantly as you walk each day of your life. 1 Peter 5.8 talks about the fact that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 2 Corinthians 4.4 talks about he's the God of this age, has blinded those who cannot see. Spiritually cannot see. You've shared the good news with someone. Someone's looking at your life and you're sitting there going, wow, you've changed so much. Why is God, I, Jesus has saved me. He's my savior. I'm following him. I'm not looking back. And, and you share the good news that they too can be forgiven of sin. They too can have eternal life. And they look at you like, 
I don't see you, I don't hear you, and I don't speak. You know what I'm saying? And so what happens is you're like, why can't they understand this? Why can't they see what I see? It's because the tempter has blinded them. And that's why we continue to pray and ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to lift their blindness or open their ears to hear. And once they hear the word of God and they receive and believe, then the scales in the eyes will be lifted and they will no longer be, cannot see, but now I can see, right? Once I was blind and now I see the amazing grace. How sweet the sound. So we see here that Satan is real. Ephesians 2.2, he's the prince of the power of the air. So how does Satan mess with you? How does he mess with us to try to cause us to walk away from God? Through temptations. Through temptations. But remember, temptation is not a sin. It's when we fall into the temptation is when it becomes a sin. When our faith is strengthened in Christ, when we know and we remember and are encouraged by God that the fact that he is in control and that God enables us to endure and strengthen us to overcome these temptations and to say no to the tempter. The scripture is clear that in the temptation comes in front of you, you have a choice because you have free will to choose to fall into that temptation, which means you sin, or you can choose to flee, and God says, I will always give you a way out of the temptation and help you to flee from it. You must choose it. It's your free will to do it. But God is always there to help you and I and encourage us to continue to make that right choice. The fourth element that is involved in establishing of the church in, of, in Christian faith is comfort. We see that in verses 6 and 7. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love. So we see here the first part was all about what? It was all right from the very beginning, Paul's concern for the church in Thessalonica. Now we see here in verses 6 through 10, the actual encouragement that's coming from the report that Timothy is bringing back to Paul from that trip out to, to see the church and to, and to help him establish them and encourage him. Here he comes back, and so he's writing to the church and says, Hey, Timothy has come back from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love. Your trust in Jesus Christ is stronger than ever. And the fruit is starting to bear from your life of faith called love. Are you with me? So he's coming back to Paul and saying, hey, their faith is, they're still, they're still trusting Jesus. And now we're seeing the love. We're seeing the transformation. We're seeing the fruit that's coming from their lives. 
their strength, they're doing good. They're not perfect. There's some challenges, and, and Paul's going to address that in his letters, but he comes back with a good uh, news of the faith and love and that you always had good remembrance of us. Not only to say their faith is doing well, their love is starting to show in their lives because they're loving one another, but look at this. They even said they even have such fond remembrance of you, Paul. Why is that significant? Well, because he was one of his, his greatest desires is that they wouldn't forget him. He was only there for three weeks. It had to be forced out. And all the people were flooding in saying, Paul really didn't care for you. He was only here three weeks and his, that pastor took a hike. He left. He just took advantage of you and got what he wanted and took off and run to the next town. They didn't listen to those false lies. They didn't listen to the, 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 the subtleness that people come in and just kind of plant doubt in people's minds about Paul. Is he really loved you? Is he really who he says he is? Is he really going to come back? Does he really love you and want to come back and help you? Or was he taking advantage? All these little doubts that people will use, Satan will use to plant in other people's lives. And they begin to believe the lie. But they didn't. Timothy came back and said, no, their, their, their remembrance of you is good. They didn't listen to the lies of the enemy that was trying to sow those, those seeds of doubt in their minds of the fact that you loved them. And had this desire, the fact that they believe that you have a desire, Paul, to come and see them. But you're being, as we saw last week, why he couldn't get back? Because Satan was hindering him to be able to go back. Remember that? And so we see here that we, he was, in verse 7, Therefore, brethren, in all your affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. So we see this fourth element that helps you and I in our Christian faith, and that is we're comforted by watching people who walk by faith and do it so rightly, so good, and so encouraging to people. Have you ever done that where you're like, you're down and you think, wow, my life is really not going well, Lord. I don't know what's going on. I'm really struggling and all stuff. And then all of a sudden you come and you hang around other Christians and all of a sudden you hear what's going on in their life. And that you look at them and say, you've got cancer? You would have never known. Your joy is just absolutely beaming. You would have never known you're in pain and suffering right now from post-chemo. Your life is just living by faith. And what does that do for you? Oh, Lord, if, if she can go through that. Lord, I know stubbing my little toe is not that big of a deal. It's not the end of the world. So comfort can come to you and strengthen you and build you up in your faith by watching people walk by faith in Jesus Christ through all this affliction. It brings comfort to us. Because if God is helping her, he will help me. If God has helped him overcome that, I know that he's, he's going to help me. I just know it. And it brings me great comfort to know that by faith, I just need to continue to walk and trust God. And he will encourage and strengthen and see me through the difficulties of life the pain points of life that come. God is going to help me. So we must watch others. 
We must watch others live by faith through the tremendous difficulties and pains and sufferings and persecutions over all the tribulations that go in someone's life. When we watch what God is doing in and through and we see the strength of that person that's walking that Christian faith and trusting and comforting brings us tremendous comfort. Because he doesn't promise us that he'll keep us from the dark valley moments. He promises us to walk with us through those dark valleys and bring us out the other side. It's a beautiful thing. And it should bring comfort to you and strengthen you in your Christian faith. The fifth element we see in verses uh, 8 and 9, but with first here in verse 8, we see the fifth element that involves life. Life itself strengthens the Christian faith of a believer. How? He says right here, for now we live. My life. That's what Paul's saying. My life. If you, Thessalonica, Thessalonian church, you, the believers in Thessalonica, will stand fast. Stand fast regarding your faith in Jesus Christ. In the Lord. That, that will bring tremendous strength to me in my walk. Will really strengthen my faith. When I'm watching your life as a believer and you stand fast in the Lord. The life he is living. Paul's Christian ministry he was called to. Was a life worth living. He says, when I watch your life and I see what God is doing in your life and that you're continuing to be steadfast, following Jesus, doing what it, being obedient and moving forward with Him and trusting Him with all your heart and mind, soul, strength, Paul says, my life is worth living. My, the ministry that God's called me to do to, to, to invest in you and to, to feed you and to care for you and to comfort you and to protect you as a shepherd, it is absolutely worth it because I watch your life been transformed in front of me. I'll take the persecutions. Why? Because I can think of Bob. Because I can think of Mary. I can think of Zeal. I'm trying to make up names. Because if I used your names, then everyone thinks I'm talking to you. <laughs> so every time I think of a name, I go, oh, that, that person's in the audience or listening. <laughs> so I can't use that name. So I'm coming up with, and I didn't want to use weird names. But, but you know what I'm saying. Fill in your name. Because when I look at your life, and because you walk with Jesus, Paul says, and I say, it encourages me to know my life is worth all that I have to deal with to be able to witness what God's doing in your life. That brings me tremendous strength in my walk in faith to watch what God's doing in you. That's life. Now, sometimes... Faith is only saw or looked at from a quantity perspective. 
We see it in Matthew 8.10 that you are to have great faith. In Matthew 8.26, some have little faith. It speaks to this, 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 the amount of faith, if you have a lot or you have a little. And the Bible clearly teaches that of the fact that there is amount of faith, high and low, large or small. But the disciples, interesting, in Luke 17, 5, even had this challenge of understanding the amount of faith. Remember, he, they come to him and says, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. But Jesus straightens their, their understanding of that in Luke chapter 17, verse 6. He follows after they say, Lord, increase our faith. Jesus then turns around and says, okay, let me bring some strengthening in your faith here about clarity about this faith amount thing. He says, so the Lord said to them, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. So he says, it's not about the mouth, guys. If you have a lot or little. Matter of fact, you can take the smallest seed of faith. And you can pull that mulberry tree right out by its roots and plant it. It'll grow. Yeah. Matter of fact, that, that small seed of faith can move mountains. So many times people will sit there, oh, I want to have that kind of faith. I really want that faith because I want to move mountains. I want to be able to move trees. I want to do great things for God. God, increase my faith to be able to do what you called me to do. But notice and understand something very clearly. It's not about the amount of faith you have that does that work. It's all about the object of your faith because our faith is only as good as of the object we put our faith in. Are you with me? If our faith is in ourself, oh, you of little faith, we see in the scripture. How are you going to get that done? Oh, I've got a lot of faith. Oh, really? And when things don't go well, what happens? Oh, what happened? Oh, you of little faith. Why? Because your object of your faith and your trust and believe you are going to accomplish something was in yourself. You believed in the object of self that you were going to be able to overcome that challenge. But remember, Jesus Christ is our great faith. And there is no greater object we can put our faith in than him. He's our savior of the world. So I cannot move mountains or mulberry trees. But if I have faith that God can move the mountains and the mulberry tree, then God who spoke a word and created the heavens and the earth, I believe if I put my faith in Jesus Christ and him to move the mountain, I believe that. 
If the tree has to move or that challenge or affliction needs to happen, my faith is not in what I can do or what some other man can do, but I put my complete trust in the object in the relationship of Jesus Christ, and he has the strength and the ability to move that mountain. Are you with me? So when it comes to faith and being grounded, the relationship with Jesus and the understanding and the belief that he is all-powerful and can overcome whatever he needs to overcome in your life to help you, that is who you put your faith in is, in, is in the person of Jesus Christ and him alone. That's where faith is established. Are you with me? I don't want you to miss this. Think of something going on in your life right now at this moment and say, I don't know how I'm going to overcome and make it. Who are you going to trust and put your faith in? Your faith must be in Jesus Christ to do what needs to be done according to his will. And watch your faith be strengthened and established. And you will not be shaken. Are you with me? You're tracking? So here we go. We're going to finish it up here. I think we're going to be on time. We're on to the element number six. Sixth element. It involves joy. Joy will establish your Christian faith. And look what happens. He says for, in verse 9, For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? So Paul writes this letter from Corinth here as well and his, his coming to the city uh, was, marked, um, was certainly marked by um, a lot of difficulty, right? A lot of persecution was going on there. We see that in 1 Corinthians 2, 3. He says, I was, we I was so weak and in such fear and such trembling when I showed up because he had gone through such, such tribulations. But yet, Timothy came back with this such great news of what was going on with the believers there that Paul was what? Refreshed and strengthened and renewed in his life. Why? Because he heard the joy of hearing the good news of what was going on with the believers back in Thessalonica. That joy just overwhelmingly refreshed and renewed his spirit within him because we now we live, we can breathe the great news of what God is doing in the lives of the people there. So joy can establish your faith, can encourage you in your faith and, and, and help establishing of the church. We've gone through some challenges as a church. The transitioning, going over to a new place, the selling of properties. There's been all kinds of things and sickness. COVID, okay, pandemic thrown in the middle of all that. But imagine when we hear of the joy of the good reports of God working all things out for his good, for those who love him, and we love our Lord, and we serve him, he will work all things out. And when we hear we bought a, bought a church, look at the joy that it brought you. 
I know it wasn't just me. The fact that God has blessed us with a building that we get to go to to fix up, that he provided for us. I know about you. You had to have at least a smidgen of joy and deepening of your, of your faith that God is doing a work here. For me, when we sell the, the behemoth, when that happens, when that giant is, is, is slain, <laughs> the joy, you probably won't want to be around me because of such joy. You know? <laughs> it's going to be too much, I know. My wife's going to keep me grounded, I, I assure you. Woo, you know, the weight. I, I've, I've lost inches, I assure you. Not, I wish this way, but no, just this way. Right? <laughs> Paul notes the joy that was just so prevalent. Even, even back in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, he says, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. He's, he just, he, it just... The knowing what was going on in those people's lives, it just brought such joy and refreshing and renewing of his strength, of his faith, of what God is doing. Paul could, it says it just like John said in Third John, Third John 1, 3, it says, For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in in the truth. And this is my favorite verse, and if you've ever received probably something from me, I write this many times, is 3 John 1, 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. There's no greater joy for me as a pastor and all over the years and the people who have been in the military that were here and then they left and then watch them all over the world reach out and to see that they're walking with the Lord and now serving God and, and some are they're in leadership at other churches and stuff. There's nothing greater joy than that for me. Why? Because I know that God is continuing to train them up and they send them out and God is using them for his kingdom. And that encourages me to hear the, the good reports because they're like children. You're like children to me that I want. It's no greater joy than to hear that you are walking in faith. Even through all the afflictions and pandemics of the world. That you're not shaken. But actually more established than you've ever been in your life. No greater joy. The seventh element is strengthening of the Christian faith involves prayer. Verse 10, it says, Night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect or complete what is lacking in your faith. So the power of, the, the power of prayer by God's Spirit working in their hearts to strengthen, establish in their Christian faith, it's through this prayer that God put on uh, Paul's heart to pray without ceasing, to constantly praying for the people. And that's how they can be strengthened in their faith because people are praying for them. And he was right there. I'm praying night and day for your faith. That you won't walk away from God. That you will continue to work through these things. And continue to seek after him with all of your heart. And as you see that, you'll see that that will deepen your, 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 your faith as you pray for other people. You want to deepen your faith and in a way it establishes and strengthens your faith. You must develop a prayer life for other people. 
It's not all about you. Matter of fact, the more you think about yourself, the more miserable you will become. But when you pray for others and you see, may, you may or may not see the results, but you may have only hear the results of what God's doing in their life, it will deepen your faith in what God's doing in the lives of other people. God can use and strengthen you in Christian, your Christian faith here through the mighty power of prayer. And the eighth element involves love. We see this in verses 11 and 12. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. So we see here now Paul shows begins in this passage, the third element, verses 11 through um, 13. It's actually a prayer. He's writing down a prayer. It's one of the first places here where you see a prayer written down. And it's in the scriptures. And what does he say? Right there in verses 11, 12, that... He, one of the key things in his prayer is that love would be a bearing of fruit from their lives. He said, Timothy came back, said his, their faith is good, but it could be a better. Their love is starting to show. They're starting to love one another. This is good signs. <laughs> this is good. But there's, it, it can be better. So what happens is Paul is saying here that I would... Even though Timothy there and things are going well, I am still praying, please direct my way, Lord. Direct my way to them. I want to go meet with them. I want to personally be there to help them in their walk. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. May just things will be working in your life that bearing fruit like you've never experienced in your life. This was not a loveless church. But they had room to grow. We're not a loveless church, but can't we all grow in our love for one another? Absolutely we need to do that. And it should never end. We should continue to, to build up on that. But Paul prays that their love would increase and abound to one another and to all. But note in verse 12, it's the Lord does the work. It's not you saying, okay, I got to pray. I got I to gotta love more. I got to love more. I can do it. I can do it like a little train that can go up the hill. And I go, cha 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 and then back down the hill. cha 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 I get, no. Right here, clearly Paul says, may the Lord, verse 12, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. Let God bear the fruit, because only the fruit of the Spirit can be bared by Him, not by you and I. Love is a key indicator of a true Christian disciple. If someone says, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Oh, Really? What evidence would I look for? One thing. Love. Love for God and the love for another. If someone says that or you claim it, the question is, is if you believe you're a true disciple of, of, of a disciple, is there fruit that bears your life to, to prove that? Where's the proof, the evidence? Jesus spoke of the essential place that love has in identifying as a mark of a Christian. We see in John 13, 35, it says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you, what? Love one another. The Apostle John emphasized this same principle in 1 John 4, 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Paul's looking at these Christians in Thessalonica to show that that love to for one another and to all. Notice the word to all. How important it is to all because love begins in the family of God. That is true. We must love one another because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. But we must go beyond that we see in the scripture. Matthew 5 verses 46 and 47. Jesus tells us that our love is small and shallow if we only love those who love us also. Oh, I'm a loving person. But the only ones you love are the ones who love you. Then your love is shallow. It's small. It's when you love those who are hard to love, that is when you know that God is doing a work in your life. Yes. Showing love to that person who cut you off on the, on the road. Yes. Well, I didn't say anything, and I didn't give any gesture, but you thought something. <laughs> See, the love is, is now you go and say, Lord, please help that person, because obviously that person's distracted, so no one can get hurt. You know, where's the attitude that you have in regards toward others, especially those who are on difficult to, to love? But it's the power of the Holy Spirit in our life and your life having his way and his will to be done and that it will produce the fruit that we see in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's one, there's only one fruit, love. It's in the singular. There's adjectives of that love. What is kind of, how, do, how do I know it's love that the person is, is showing? Well, we see the adjectives. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. So we see that you see a gentleness coming upon this person. Ah, they might be, they're walking in love. They're long-suffering in that situation when most people would not. The Holy Spirit is showing love through that person. That person would have lost it. No, he's showing self-control. The Holy Spirit is working and showing love through that person's life. And we see that that is what it encourages in our walk. And then finally, I promised nine elements, and here we are. And that is the ninth element involves holiness. Holiness will strengthen one's Christian faith. We see this in verse 13, our last verse. So that we may establish our hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So we see here, Paul knew that God wanted the Thessalonians to have their hearts established and established to a point of this blamelessness in holiness in their life. The, the, the word holiness, the, 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 um, the idea behind the word holiness sounds so big that you're like, oh, I don't know if I can grab a hold of it. But really what it means is to be set apart from the world, be apart from the things of the, of the world that offers you and be completely sold out unto God. Now, no longer living man's ways, but living God's way. And that's what it means to live a that holiness or that holy life that God has set you apart to live for him. This genuinely wanting to be this holy person that means separated from the domination of sin. I am not going to be dominated by that sin any longer. I'm no longer going to be dominated by my self, selfish ways. 
not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to allow the world and its fads to sway me to live a certain way. I am completely surrendered my life to Christ. And I live for him. The heart must be made holy first. The devil wants us to develop a holy exterior. Oh, you, you look the part, man. They'll never know you're not a Christian. You, 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 you got it all down. But God wants to do an interior work. The devil wants you just to have the exterior and neglect the interior. Raise your hands, sing away, but don't read the word of God because that, that's, that's dealing with the interior. We see in Matthew 23, 27, Jesus called that out and says, those who are just worried about what they look like they're a Christian and not worried about actually their interior heart of being a Christian, they're like whitewashed tombs full of death. They look pretty on the outside, but they're just death inside. So Paul's prayer here in these last few verse, three verses to the Thessalonians emphasized three things in that prayer. First, he wanted to be with them. Oh, yeah, he wanted to be with them. He could help them in their Christian walk because of what God has already shared and given and what he experienced in his life, his apostolic wisdom and authority. So much he wanted to be there to just be part of their lives and to help them. That was his heart. And second was he wanted to, them to abound in love. I want you to be so fruitful as you walk with the Lord. The love will just pour out of you and everyone gets to benefit from that changed life that uh, God has done in you. And thirdly, he wanted them to be established with a true heart of holiness, separated for God, being for him. And holiness started back in the Old Testament in Leviticus. If you remember Leviticus 19.2, speak to all the congregation, God says, of the children of Israel. And he says to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So why do we want to be set apart for God? Why do we want to, to live for God a holy life? It's because he says, I, the Lord your God, am holy. So my expectation as my children of mine is for you to be like our heavenly Father. And to be holy. Matthew 5.48. Therefore we shall be perfect. Complete. Just as our father in heaven is, is perfect. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 3.10. There is none righteous. No not one. And so we must come and ask. We must have just completely give our lives over to Christ to refine us, to change us, to move us. Why? Because it's who we are as a child of God. That's who we are. We've been made holy by God. It's not because we've accomplished some great work that makes us holy. It's God who's done that work in us already. And it's by our position in Christ, not what our possession of, but it's our position in Christ, then God sees us blameless and holy in Jesus Christ. And there is no other way. 
You can't do enough good works. You can't pray enough. You can't come to church enough. You can't read the Bible enough. Who makes you blameless, who makes you holy, is in the relationship of what Jesus Christ did for you and I on the cross. And that's what gives us the right standing before him. That's what strengthens our faith, our Christian faith, and encourages us, us, and encouragement in the building up of the church, and that is by faith and faith alone.